The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Besides, uh, besides the Lord God, my greatest joys in life truly are my wife and my children. They are a delight to wake up to in the morning. They are a delight to come home to. It is, it is the highlight of my day. But there's a reality that goes along with it that sometimes being a parent of four little children isn't so easy. Uh, on Thursday morning, this happens on a pretty frequent basis. I think it actually happened this morning as well. But one of our children comes into our bedroom at around 4.30 a.m. And we're not early risers. So the child comes in at 4.30 and is kind of waddling in and comes over to the bed and reaches up to mom and we bring the child into bed and then both of us through our grogginess pray to the Lord God that he would help this child fall asleep again, right? Lord Jesus, help him fall asleep. God, you raised Christ from the dead. Certainly you can make this child fall asleep again. And nine times out of 10, it doesn't happen. And so Trisha, who is uh, very gracious and a, a much better servant than me, gets up at 4.30, takes the child downstairs, turns on the coffee, and starts her day. And uh, I wake up a few hours later and um, walk downstairs, and that child, as typical fashion, is crying and bawling and wailing and needs to be held constantly because because they're overtired. Um, Well, that particular morning was even more difficult because another one of our children, again, I don't like to name names. I'm not trying to embarrass them. Just this is the reality of life, right? Another one of the children um, was also whining and complaining and felt entitled and just always asking for stuff. Give me this, give me this, give me this. Won't say please. And so there we are at the breakfast table. And I can't remember if this particular morning, if I had my headphones on or not. Um, sometimes I wear, I wear them for cutting wood with a chainsaw, um, long trips with the children, and sometimes breakfast. And so I, I think I might have had them on. And, um, and there's no way we can have discussion over the screaming. It's just too loud. It is too loud. And, and whenever this happens, I'm always thinking to myself, I could record this and sell it to the U.S. government as torture methods for um, prisoners of war. But it would probably be cruel and unusual punishment. So, so that's our morning, right? And I, I go upstairs, get dressed, get ready for work. You know, I get an escape, right? I get to go to work. I, I have to do it. So I get up there, and, uh, and Trish comes up shortly after, and she, she said I could share this with you. And She's getting ready. I just go over and give her a hug because it's a hard morning. And she nestles into me and starts crying and says, it is, it is so hard. It is so hard to keep it together. It is so hard to keep it together. If, if you've had children, maybe you have felt that same feeling. But if you don't have kids, I know there's other circumstances in your life, whether it be... Uh, a referee making a bad call um, against the Seahawks, or whether it be uh, whether it be someone at work that just doesn't quite seem to get it, or someone in your family that um, that irritating habit keeps popping up, that pet peeve. Times when our barriers are broken down, and what Trish is communicating is something we all struggle with: is is in those times when it is most difficult. How do we keep from lashing out in sin? You know, you know, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, something like that. 
Like, I wasn't thinking of Galatians 5 that morning. I was thinking of that passage from Proverbs. You know, he who loves his son does not spare the rod, right? That's what I'm thinking, but I, I don't want to spare the rod. I mean, I want to use the rod, but not in love. So the question is, when those things happen, when life is overwhelming, when it is troubling, when it is difficult, how can we pursue holiness? Why should we pursue holiness? Why should we abide in Christ, accessing the power of God to bear fruit in our life? On those mornings, it is so hard to be loving, to be joyful, to be patient, to be kind, to be gentle, to be self-controlled. We just want to lash out. You know, similarly, when life is overwhelming, when you feel down on life, when you feel discouraged. Many times we go many places to seek pleasure and enjoyment in very sinful ways, whether it be lust, whether it be purchasing a lot of clothes, whether it be uh, getting angry or frustrated or whatever it might be. And the question is, in those really, really hard times, why pursue holiness? Because it is much more difficult than lashing out. It is much more difficult than acting out in a sinful way. Well, today Jesus tells us why we should pursue godliness, why we should pursue holiness, even when everything in us, except the Holy Spirit, wants to run the other direction. If you would please open up to John chapter 15. If you're in the Red Bible, it is page, let me see here, it's page 901 in the Red Bible. If you're in the Children's Bible, it's page 13. 26, 1326. So John chapter 15. We started this passage last week. We'll reread it again. It's, there's so much here. Um, it started out as one sermon. It turned into two sermons. And if we run out of time, it's potentially going to become three sermons. But Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the true vine. This is the last of Jesus's I am statements. This is his farewell address. This is his final speech to the disciples before he goes to be arrested, betrayed, crucified. And so he is leaving party words, both of marching orders, but also of encouragement in life. And so he communicates to them, I am the vine. I just want to share with you what we talked about last week in case you were not here or in case you're like me and you are forgetful. Last week, we talked about the fuel for fruit. What gives us the power to bear fruit in our lives? And as we looked at John 15, what we discovered was that the fuel for fruit is nothing less, nothing less than the power of God in us. The power of God in us, the power that created the universe, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power lives inside those who abide in Christ and Christ abides in them. This is our union with Christ. And so just a brief outline, we talked about how the fuel of fruit is the love and power of God himself that lifts us out of the mud, that lifts us out of the pit, out of the mire, out of the clay of our sin and sets us on the trellis of his grace. The fuel for fruit is the love and power of God himself that prunes us in ways that may be very painful, but cuts off the idols from our life that we might seek nutrients from the true vine, Jesus Christ. And the fuel of fruit is the love and power of God himself that unites us 
to Christ. He secures our abiding in him. He gives us his word to abide in him and he commands us obedience that we might abide in him. And so we see that the fuel for fruit is the power of God in us through Jesus Christ. That is the gas, okay? Today, he gives us the destinations. Where are we headed that would encourage us to access the power of God that we have through our union with Christ? Okay, what are, what are the destinations? What, are, what is the fruit of fruit? That's what we're going to look at today. So let's read John 15. We're going to read verse 1 through 17. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up, my translation. (laughs) And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abided in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the, his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today as desperately dependent people, Lord. People that are so prone to wander, so prone to sin, so prone to lash out, so prone to go to substitute Savior, so prone to seek nutrients from other branches instead of from the vine itself, God. Lord, we pray that you would purge out of us the lies that we believe, Lord, that make us seek idols instead of you. Help us today, God, to abide in you. Impress this word upon our heart powerfully that throughout the week as we are tempted by sin, that we would remember, that we would be reminded, Lord, 
of what is true. And that we would live in that joy and in that freedom. In Christ's name, amen. In one sense, this passage tells us that all who are in Christ abide in Christ. And they will always abide in Christ. They will always be connected to the vine. Jesus Christ. But in another sense, it also commands us abide in Christ. And so we are to draw the nutrients from Christ for godly living, to bear fruit. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you are tempted by sin, uh, you are in good company. Um, I am one of those people. And I would encourage you as, as we kind of go through this list and by looking at the time, my guess is it will take two weeks. But I'd encourage you just write in little notes, take off that section of the bulletin and hang it somewhere where you'll see it to remind you of why pursuing godliness is more glorious than pursuing sin, of why it is sweeter than pursuing the sourness of sin. Okay, we're going to look at different sections here. There there are at least six reasons um, that abiding in Christ is better than abiding in sin. Six reasons why why seeking Christ and enjoying him is sweeter than seeking sin. And so these are truths that we are to remember when we are tempted by sin. The first reason is this, is that when we abide in Christ, we have absolute assurance. Look in verse 5 with me. Again, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me. And I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This picture of fire is an image used throughout scripture to talk about the righteous and just punishment of God for all eternity. That those who do not abide in Christ, this is their future. That they are destined for hell. This is a word that we're not comfortable using because it is a scary and awful thing. And yet Christ holds forth this truth. That if you do not abide in him, your destiny is not heaven. It is not abiding with him. Your destiny is the punishment of God for all eternity. That it is just, that it is righteous, that it is deserved. And that to... To, 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 to avoid that is to put your faith in Christ and to abide in him. And so the question that immediately presents itself this morning is what is your destiny? When you die, what is your destiny? Is your destiny hell or is it abiding with Christ for all eternity? I met a new acquaintance this past week and he found out I was a pastor. And I always love hearing people's reactions when they find out I'm a pastor um, and he, and he said, he said to me, he goes, you know what? I was saved on March 22nd, 1975 at 655. I thought, man, that is, that's interesting. I've never had someone give me like the minute they were saved. That was, so this was the minute I was saved. And I was like, wow, what's the story? And he was kind of in a hurry and it wasn't a long story, but it was an amazing story. He said, I was planning to take my life at 7 o'clock. At 6.55, I asked myself the question, where will I be at 7.01? said, at that moment, God saved me. I realized that I did not deserve to abide with Christ. I realized I didn't deserve heaven. 
but I sought Christ and he saved me and forgave me of my sin. And so I guess the question for us is, do you know where you will be one minute after you die? My hope is that you would repent, trust in Christ as your savior, abide in the vine, the glorious vine, not only now, but for all eternity. God wants those in the vine to have absolute assurance of their salvation. He doesn't want you to question it. He doesn't want you to wander. He doesn't want you to despair. He wants you to have absolute assurance that you belong to him. He actually gives us a litmus test in this passage. Look with me, verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. Notice, it doesn't say, Bear much fruit to become my disciple, but bear much fruit to prove you are my disciple. Think of the illustration here. Think of the illustration of a vine. A vine doesn't grow and look to the ground and say, oh, look at that branch over there. Look, it has really good fruit. I am going to take it and bring it and graft it into me. That's not how it works, right? If a branch is connected to a strong vine, it will bear fruit. The fruit shows that it is connected to the vine. For the Christian, fruit is not just possible, it is inevitable. It is going to happen. You cannot be connected to the vine Jesus Christ and be unchanged. The fruit of the believer is the consequence of Christ's redemptive work pulsating through us as we are united to Jesus Christ. The proof that you abide in Christ is the fruit that manifests itself in your life. Now, to be sure, there are winters. There are times where fruit is sparse, right? In my life and your life. And yet God continues to love, to nurture, to care for you, to bear fruit in your life. As you look at your life over the past year, do you see God changing you, transforming you, the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life. This is to assure us that we belong to him. And so one benefit of bearing fruit, of pursuing holiness in the face of temptation, is it gives us absolute assurance. The second thing it gives us is prayer power. Okay, Verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. This is an extraordinary promise, isn't it? Like, Jesus, I want a car. Can I have a car? Hot tub, would love a hot tub. New house. Oh, I'm not getting it, so I must not be abiding enough. I got to abide harder, right? What, what does this promise mean? Well, James kind of clarifies it a little bit. James 4.3, he says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion, such as a hot tub. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity to God? You know, it's okay to ask God for a new car. It's okay to ask God for a new house or whatever your desires are. But there are bigger things to ask for. 
And those are bigger things are the things that God promises to give to you if you ask him. You know, context is very important in scripture. If you take a verse out of the context and promote it, it can mean a whole host of things. This passage right here, this verse here in John chapter 15, where he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When it's taken out of context, all of us know that it's not true because all of us have asked God for things and not received it. And so the question is, what does this mean in the context of John 15? When Jesus says, ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. He's talking about fruit, right? Fruit in your life. That you would grow in the fruit of the spirit. That you would grow in love where you are unloving, where you would grow in joy where you are not joyful, where you would grow in patience where you are not patient. Elsewhere in James, James 1, 5 through 6, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That is the promise. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And so I guess the question would be, what are you praying for? Uh, You can pray for anything. Your heavenly father wants to hear your requests. But are you praying for the fruit to abound in your life? Is this a daily part of your petition to God? Are you praying for Other people to bear fruit, for your spouse, for your kids, for your roommate, for your friends to bear fruit. God makes this extraordinary promise. If you are in the vine, if you are abiding in Christ and you ask for wisdom and you ask for the fruit of the spirit, he promises you that it will grow in greater measure. And so God says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me. Whatever you ask, I will give it to you. So we see the benefits of bearing fruit thus far are pretty amazing. That God gives an absolute assurance of our salvation through it. That he gives us power in prayer to abide in him, to to grow in our fruitfulness, to access his power. And the third thing is God's glory. Verse 7. By the way, if you're new here, I usually do three points. I got six this morning just because the scripture has six. So, Verse 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, fruit, right? And it will be done for you. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You know, God is not only glorified when we gather together on Sunday mornings and give him the worship and praise that he is due. But God is glorified through you every day of the week when you bear fruit. It shows his glory when God takes a dead, hard-hearted person and makes them alive and bears through fruit through this dead branch. When God softens us, molds us, sanctifies us, and produces fruit through someone like me, it gives him great glory because it is absolutely impossible apart from him. You know, part of my story is I grew up in St. Louis as a Christian. I'm sorry, as a non-Christian, I went to church. I was very thankful for it, but I never had a relationship with God. And I got connected to this, this parachurch ministry called Young Life. And I started hearing things about the gospel. And I was, I was in that group my sophomore, junior, senior year of high school. And uh, there was a friend there. Her name was Kara. She was a friend that, that helped me to get to Young Life a lot of times. And well, 
after high school, I moved on and went to college and uh, met my wife, Trish. We got married, served in ministry for a few years, and then went back to St. Louis to go to seminary. And so we go back to St. Louis, and we're looking at different churches, trying to figure out where we want to go. And we show up at New City Fellowship, where the, the high school mission tre- team is right now. We showed up there, and I saw Kara, and she gives me this bewildered look. She's like, hey, Dan, what are you doing here? I'm like, am I in trouble? I said, well, uh, you know, this is my wife, Trish. We just moved back to St. Louis. I'm going to seminary. Her response, no joke, you go to seminary? Are you serious? She, you know, some people don't have filters. <laughs> she said, but in high school, you were such a selfish, arrogant jerk. All you talked about was football all the time. I can't believe you're going to seminary. She kind of went on and on and on and on and on. And I'm sitting here and I'm so proud of myself because I'm in seminary. And then God takes me down a notch and I don't know what to say. So finally I just go, God does good things, you know. I don't know what to say. Well, in preparing this message, I realized that my response, which was just kind of given out of being flustered, is much more true than I had perceived at the time. The only reason why I had a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way that I grow in the fruit of the Spirit, and I have a long way to go, the only way I ever had a desire to go to seminary, to learn more of God's grace, to proclaim God's grace to you, is because God did that work in me. And when God does that to an arrogant, selfish, self-centered football player in high school, the glory goes to God. And everyone can see it because that transformation is not possible apart from the work of God. You know, some of you are here today and you are wondering, can I ever change? I have this bad habit in my life. I just can't kick it. And maybe you have resigned to the fact that this addiction in your life is always going to be there. God is glorious. He is powerful. He changes and transforms heart because he abides in us and we abide in him. All right. It is 733. In my notes, it says, if it is after 1035, jump to the conclusion. You get the folder message. Here we go. Jubilant joy is the next reason why we bear fruit. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be, meaning remain in you, and that your joy may be full. You know, when you consider obedience to God, if you're like me, the first, the first image or the first thought that comes to mind is not joy. Like, yay, I get to obey God today, right? Often it's drudgery, it's burdensome, it's a grind, it's an unwelcomed labor, Sometimes we think God's commands are out of date, out of touch with reality. But according to these verses, obedience to God's commands produces joy. I mean, it's not saying obedience is easy, but it's saying it produces great joy. In the 51st Psalm, David, the great hero in our faith, he commits adultery, he murders Uriah, And then he is confronted by Nathan and he writes this psalm 
And he, says, he starts it out like this. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David's salvation was never in jeopardy, but his joy had evaporated because he was being disobedient from the Lord. See, it is in obedience to God that joy breaks ground. It's obedience to God that joy bears fruit in our lives. It is through obedience that we get joy. Joy is a byproduct of obedience. Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it this way. He said, I would sooner be holy than happy if the two things could be divorced. Were it possible for a man always to sorrow and yet to be pure? I would choose to sorrow if I might win the purity. For to be free from the power of sin, to be made to love holiness, is true happiness. Obedience to God is not joyless. As a matter of fact, if your obedience to God is joyless, it's not true obedience. It's begrudging obedience, which is no obedience at all. Obedience to God's commands brings great joy into our life. He is wise. He is good. He is all-knowing. He is loving. And he gives you these commands because he loves you and cares for you. You know this as parents, right? So this morning, uh, we're going to polka fest after. We're going to do a lot of walking. And so mommy says to Carissa, girl who's wearing these plastic Cinderella high heel shoes, Carissa, change your shoes. We're going to be walking a lot afterwards. And Carissa's response, no. I want to wear my princess shoes, right? Finally, we talked her out of it. But, but if she wore those, it would not be a joyful experience for any of us, right? And so we said, change your shoes. And she did, and it will hopefully go much better. But, you know, we look at a child and we say, oh, what a foolish child. This child does not know what we know, you know? It, this child doesn't know what will cause them pain and suffering like I do. Isn't it so much more true of God and us? Does God not look at us and say, dear child, I love you. I care for you. I do not want the pain and suffering and heartache that sin causes you. Here is my word. Here are my commands. I'm giving it to you, not to burden you, but because I love you. You see, the reason why we question God's wisdom is because we don't question our own. We are called to question our own wisdom and not God's. To trust God's wisdom in his word that we might live in joyful obedience to him. This joy is not limited. He says that your joy may be full, that your joy may be complete. God doesn't want you to have some joy or a little joy. He wants you to have abounding joy, radical joy, that even in the midst of suffering and pain and crying kids and unemployment and cancer and whatever it might be, that you would have a, tro- a joy that transcends all circumstances. And so this is another of the great reasons why we should pursue holiness by the grace and power and love of God. All right, I'm going to come back to the next two points last time, but next time, excuse me. But let me end with this. This is one of the scariest quotes I've ever heard in my life, just to be honest, okay? Quote goes like this, and it's scary because it's true. Here's how the quote goes. You've probably heard it. It says this, Our character is what we do when we think no one is looking. 
Our character is what we do when we think no one is looking. And so I guess the question would be, is your public self match your private self? Or maybe the other way around, does your private self match your public self? Who are you when no one else is around? Who are you when no one else is at home? When no one else is in your car? When you're out of town on business or vacation? Who are you when you're in Vegas? Does what happens in Vegas stay in Vegas? Who are you? That is, that is your true character. Our character is what we do when we think no one is looking. And this is a very scary quote for me because when I look at this in the reality of my life, I see I am a hypocrite. Who I am when I stand up here on Sunday morning is happy, but there are many times I'm not happy. I don't exude the fruit of the Spirit. And so the question again, why should we pursue holiness when people are not looking? Why should we pursue godliness why should, we, why should we seek the power of abiding in the vine of Christ to produce fruit in us instead of pursuing the much easier thing, which is sin? Why should we pursue godliness? It's because the fruit of Christ is so much sweeter than the fruit of sin. The fruit of sin turns sour. The fruit of the true vine, Jesus Christ, is a delight. The fruit gives us absolute assurance of our salvation. It gives us power in prayer. It gives glory to God. It gives us jubilant joy. Next week we will see it gives us faithful friendship and it gives us a lasting legacy. So as you go this week, there will be times where your old temptations are going to rear back and you'll be asking the question, How can I defeat this? How can I have victory over it? It's through abiding in your power source, Jesus Christ, abiding in the vine. And you will ask, why should I seek victory over this? It's because the fruit of Christ is much more glorious than anything that sin can provide. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a challenging sermon today, especially for me as I consider who I am in private often does not match who I am in public. That if a video of my secret secret deeds were put before all to see, there would be so much shame and horror. Lord, we know that the only way we can have power It's through Jesus Christ. And that the only way we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ is through his sacrifice on the cross. It is is because of our sinfulness, because of what we do in private and secret, the sin that we do that separates us from you. And yet it is Christ who takes on all of our secret sins, ones that we have told no one else and pays for it in full at the cross. Help us to rest in that. Help us to seek the fruit of the spirit by the power of and grace of God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.